hydrogen should become the tap water. Tap water in, in terms of being abundantly available because we need it in large volumes. And I would say also tap water in terms of being available in all different regions. Transportation Matters. The CEO podcast of Daimler Truck. Welcome to Transportation Matters. Thank you all so much for joining. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Truck AG. In today's episode, we will talk about an energy carrier that will play a key role in the future, and that is hydrogen. At Daimler Truck, we're investing heavily in hydrogen technology. Our joint venture with Volvo Group will put in operation one of Europe's largest production facilities for fuel cells. And just recently, our Mercedes-Benz Gen H2 truck was the first truck to drive more than a thousand kilometers with one tank of hydrogen in real traffic conditions with a weight of 40 tons and without emitting any CO2. Today, we want to discuss why we need to move to a hydrogen economy and what it takes to make it happen. I'm looking forward to talk about that with a true expert. Dr. Sapna Suri is Chief Operating Officer Hydrogen of RWE Generation, a subsidiary of the German-based global energy company RWE. Sapna, welcome to our show. Glad to have you here. Great to be here, Martin. Thank you. When I look in your resume, you started uh, with an apprenticeship in a bank, as I did. And then uh, years later, with me, centuries later, we are talking about hydrogen. What was your journey from a bank uh, desk in a bank to be an expert on hydrogen? See, when I started my career, my apprenticeship in banking, at that time, I was very much attracted by the element of capital making the world go round. And obviously, that is still true today. But I think the bridge and the journey you're asking for is that after banking, I actually looked more into consulting for quite some time to have a broad view because I'm very much holistically interested in topics. And then finally, when I ended up in energy, I just realized it's not only capital, but it's actually energy, specifically in these days, talking about climate neutrality, where you need the electrons and the molecules to really achieve our objectives. What I really find fascinating, Martin, is it's just a very new space. Yeah, It's full of entrepreneurialism. It really allows for creativity. And, and I would say it, it's fascinating, both of your own journey, as it's fascinating if I look at RWE in, in German, RWE. When I was younger, RWE was kind, they called it the paper for, for widows and, and orphans. Yeah, it was this, this absolutely safe. You get every year your, your, your 4% dividend and nothing happens. Yeah, because electricity is just a distributing thing, not much growth in it, pretty boring, but on the other side, rock solid. And so you don't have to care. That changed, I have the feeling, dramatically, especially in seeing that an energy, electrical energy group suddenly branches out into hydrogen. What are the reasons behind? What triggers it? See, first of all, we as RWE, are, we are definitely in a massive transformation today. And that's what you rightly pointed out. I mean, we've already massively transformed from actually moving away from fossil. We've been committing the coal exit. We are one of the leading renewables players. And yes, why now hydrogen? Because we just see it's where we bring in all the capabilities along the value chain. Because you need to have the green electron in your portfolio and a clear understanding to really see and operate in an optimum way 
the molecule production. And given that we've got quite some strong trading capabilities, and eventually today we are trading gas and electricity, it's also the perspective of in future to trading derivatives, commodities, or even hydrogen itself, which are based on the green molecule. And I would even also add, Martin, because I mean, that's just very important for me. I think we need to clearly understand electricity is important, but it has got some limitations because there are hard to evade sectors and those need a molecule. So it's just the other side of the coin and we want to just contribute here. That fits to a lot of research we at Daimler Drag did and therefore we, we are very keen uh, on hydrogen as well because one of my key phrases was always we have to find a way how to store and transport green energy. And as you said, uh, to link it to a molecule, there's no better molecule to link it with a carbon mole molecule. Unfortunately, that emits CO2, so we have to find an alternative, and that is uh, where you end with hydrogen. But now I have read several ideas which would then move more the focus on electricity and less of using hydrogen primarily when a task needs to be done. Sorry, it's a little bit complex. Uh, it's easier when I come with a concrete example. I read recently that someone from the UK wants to build huge solar fields in Morocco and then transport the Moroccan sun via an, a sea cable, 3,800 kilometers in the Atlantic Ocean through a cable to UK and have then, let's say, Moroccan electricity through the cable in the UK and distributed there without the circumvention of hydrogen. Is this something RWE could see on a large scale for, for Germany, for other countries in Europe as well? Or is it just uh, another startup pipe dream? Predominantly, my opinion is that we should definitely leverage all the renewable electricity resources that we do have on the continent in Europe, but also in the UK. And yes, technology-wise, this is very different from what you can have in Morocco because obviously we have more confined space, constrained space. So it's maybe more about offshore wind and onshore wind and other than maybe in Southern Europe, less about solar PV. The topic about putting such a long sea cable into place, I mean, yes, it is a solution, but it's a very costly one. And again, I think we have to think about how much energy can you really transport? What is the energy density you're looking at? And it's just always depending on where you come from and where you want to transport the energy to. What I would rather see is, and I think that's where the UK specifically has got very rich endowments, to rather use offshore wind electricity, where you can say you can convert it on the island already via electrolysis into green hydrogen. And then you already have it in very close proximity to the respective industrial offtaker or maybe the fuel cell operator. Because then you really spare the transportation cost. And again, let's not underestimate the capex expenditure for putting in such a sea cable into place. And second, also the transportation cost by really filling it with the respective electrons. So I would say you will see more projects where the green molecule is being transported, either through existing pipelines that are being reconverted or repurposed, Or maybe partly new build ones, but because of the volume you can actually transport, I think it looks a little bit more like a more sensible or more purposeful approach. And the other approach, would that be a future possibility of the usage of hydrogen, that you just use hydrogen as a kind of a buffer for energy, for transport or for storage, but the ultimate end user 
get still the electricity out of the grid, meaning you take the hydrogen and put it in electricity power plants where you use these days natural gas, and then you burn in the future hydrogen instead of, but the end user, and the end user, it's me as Daimler Trucks, it's our customers, then get just the electricity out of the grid and it's your RWE problem, how you produce the electric energy. Happily contributing to the solution, Martin, here. And again, it's never an either or. And it's also very plain physics. But the process step that you're taking by using an electron and producing then green molecule, you're of course already losing a little bit of energy. If you wanted to simply narrow down the use case to simply then reconvert later on the hydrogen by again repowering, repowering production on the electricity side, you have another conversion loss. So physically, that is of course possible, but in terms of sequence of priorities, gas-fired stations, which could be also new-built and H2 ready, is something that comes maybe later, starting end of the 20s, and then later on running maybe mid-30s or 40s fully on hydrogen. So I guess if I ask you as Daimler, <laughs> as someone who's actually in the business of manufacturing trucks and also looking at your customers, of course they need to have the molecule. Yeah, because um, that is a way in terms of heavy-duty vehicle transportation to have a solution which is effective. If I then talk to a refinery or a steel producer, I say, of course, Sapna, yes, we need green electricity, but not exclusively. We also need to have the green molecule because their production processes require a material substance and not only the electricity. And that fits perfectly well. And you described it. It fits to our customers. And, and it, uh, like you described it, everyone wants a green energy, but everyone needs a green energy sometimes at peak times. While I understand that uh, electric energy lives from a very regular, let's say, balanced network, or you produce the peak energy. For us, energy distribution is extremely important. The biggest problem at the moment is to get the enough charging capacity for a truck. A truck needs, I would say, 300 kilowatt if you charge overnight, but you need 700 kilowatt or a megawatt charger when you do that on route or during a daily working process just to, to have a time. And that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest problems uh, we see at the moment in electrifying vehicles. And here, hydrogen, certainly, which you can tank, like you tank today, diesel is a pretty good source. Yeah, I would totally agree with you, Martin. And again, um, I mean, of course, we both are talking about heavy-duty applications. If we talked about regular, like smaller cars, then I would challenge you and say, look, batteries are already a very good technology. But I think your right point is, if you have very long distances, if you've got quite some way to be transported, and if you think about the infrastructure requirements, then I guess fortifying the grid has to happen anyways, but it might actually reach some limitations. So it's good to have the open solution space taking place. And we are trying to help, by the way. And absolutely. And here, I think the entire industry, we have to work far across industries here together because our means are limited as your means are limited. And everyone, and that I think this is one of the strengths of our society, that companies do what they can do best. And we can build trucks with a high quality and you can deliver, I would say, energy. But when we come to pricing of energy, 
Yeah, sometimes I hear the term, and it normally gets my blood pressure up, that hydrogen is a champagne of transformation, and it shouldn't be wasted on mobility. And there, in my opinion, in one sentence, are, are several really bad emotional words in it. The first one is champagne, and secondly, the wasting on mobility. Mobility, for me, is one of the core needs of our society, and, and, and moving heavy goods without trucks we couldn't live, yeah? Not a single person in 80 million Germans, 700 million in Europe people couldn't live without the support of trucks. Yeah, we can't do that with horse carts. So it's not wasting on mobility, but in my opinion, it's not champagne on the other side. What's your point? If I would say hydrogen is a champagne for RWE, and so you are the, the sommelier of the electricity company. <laughs> hydrogen should become the tap water. Tap water in, in terms of being abundantly available because we need it in large volumes. And I would say also tap water in terms of being available in all different regions. So coming back to your infrastructure point. And I think it's always it's interesting because I would also agree with you, it's definitely not wasted at all in mobility because it comes down to what is the paying capability or the paying willingness of the respective end user, the customer in your case. And I think mobility has got a very high value today already. So I think you always have to look at the alternatives and the alternatives to continue with a carbon fossil fuel, be it, for instance, diesel, that we're now really reflecting full CO2 prices, et cetera, then I think the cost difference between then green hydrogen at some point and the fossil alternatives becomes much, much smaller and hence also a very economic case. I mean, given that I'm an electricity company representative here, I can just tell you when we look at our electrolysis projects, What really makes me feel very, very positive, even though we are still in a very early stage of the market development, is renewables built out will help. Yeah, it will help the electricity sector, but it will also help the green hydrogen sector because the more renewables we have in a system, the cheaper the power price input is going to become. And that is one of the main, main ingredients here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, nothing upsets me more when I see a huge park with windmills that are not moving because there's at the moment too much sun and energy anyhow in the system. So you just stop the windmill to producing electricity. There should be an electrolyzer someplace. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm totally with you because in those instances where you have abundant and fairly cheap energy being otherwise curtailed and not really used, then actually it's wasted. And if you can then actually use the electrolysis to really then convert and store and also seasonally store, you have the best system contribution that you can do. But I would also add, you shouldn't only have the electrolysis run when the wind is really blowing high or the sun is shining, because that would be also from a business case perspective difficult. So I think it's about, again, saying you need to have certain base load, yeah, because there's enough renewables coming into the system. But yes, on top, there is the contribution to system integration, as we say. Going back to that uh, initial quoting someone else, hydrogen is a champagne of the transformation. The basis for that quote is always that today's hydrogen prices are certainly through the roof. When we do our analysis combining in a battery electric truck with a diesel truck with a hydrogen fuel cell truck, we came to the conclusion that four to five euro per kilogram hydrogen brings hydrogen in a ballpark where it's efficient for the customer. Is there any chance that we'll see four to five euros per kilogram hydrogen for the end user at one point of time? Or is this a 10-year, 15-year development to this? 
I don't have a crystal ball, Martin. Yeah, so I can't tell you exactly what the time frame is going to be. But what I'm very confident about is that first of all, the cheaper the input factor of green electricity gets, because we have more renewables built out, the cheaper the manufacturing capacities, like very more OEMs coming into the market, providing us electrolysis capacities, and hence also running into cost regression. That also means that a very important input factor of the to be produced green hydrogen is getting cheaper. And then I would also add, and that is sometimes really underestimated, it's about the rules of the game. The cost of producing green hydrogen today are very much determined by European regulation. And we sometimes have a tendency in Europe to be really, really very much applying our engineering mindset and also in regulation making things a bit more complicated. So if we had a more pragmatic regulation that actually says, look, it doesn't matter where the windmill is standing geographically as opposed to where the electrolysis plant is, if it were a bit more less prescriptive when the electron is being produced and when it has to be actually utilized for the electrolysis production, then you could tremendously make the cost get even lower. So I would say we have it in our hands um, and we are helping. Yeah, with Renewables RWE can help. With regulation, I would say it's about all of us in the industry and politicians who need to actually make a move. Before we move to the trucking industry, uh, for me, uh, one last question here is, Do you see the locally produced hydrogen over time cheaper or the imported hydrogen from faraway countries like Middle East or even Australia cheaper? What was your vision? I know you don't have a crystal ball. Me neither. But so uh, we are now as a fortune tellers without crystal ball. It's a pretty difficult job. Yeah, I've definitely got a clear expectation. And I think the expectation is if you talk about what is the price of the hydrogen, to arrive at that point geographically where the end user needs it, where maybe you as a truck company and your customers as few cell operators need it, then the cost will be very comparable. And why? Because first of all, the domestically produced hydrogen doesn't have to really bridge that long distances. So you've got quite some savings in terms of transportation costs because the pipeline coverage is much shorter. And I think the quality and purity, because you already produce it in its gaseous form, is exactly what the respective industry here needs. If you, on the other hand, produce hydrogen, let me say somewhere in the Middle East, yeah, or maybe in the US, obviously they have much lower renewables electricity cost. And obviously the pure first hydrogen produced is fairly economic. However, it's unfortunately at the other end of the Atlantic Ocean or still has to come all the way back to Europe. So you either need another conversion step like into ammonia to make it transportable across large distances, which again consumes energy. Then you have to bring the ammonia through ships across the ocean. Then you have the ammonia here, but if you don't really put it directly into the gray ammonia sector, so maybe fertilizers, yeah, who can simply replace gray by green, you would have to crack it. So that's another expenditure in terms of capex and another energy intensive process. So all those steps are adding up costs. And my simple point is by the time you have the green molecule and the volume and the quality at the right point in time where you really need it, basically the originally very cheap hydrogen is actually at least as from a pricing perspective, comparable to the domestic one that you could have taken in the first hand. But again, you need both. And why? Because we have limited renewables resources in Europe. Yeah. So it's, again, not an either or. 
And absolutely, and we see that today in the carbon field as well. We are definitely dependent on energy imports on the carbon field, and nobody bothered that. That's if I sometimes find it strange that on the renewables, we suddenly wanted to be energy independent. To get CO2-free is already a huge step forward, being CO2-free and import independent is, in my opinion, two goals in one step, and that might be too much. It is quite ambitious, but what it definitely offers us is the opportunity of diversifying our sourcing destinations, right? Because, I mean, we, we all know it. we've got maybe a handful of markets where we're today actually contracting natural gas and other fossil resources from. And now the world, I mean, the world is the limit, yeah? So I think from a risk diversification perspective and reduced import dependency on the green side, that is a great news that green hydrogen can offer. No, and, and I see the possibilities too. And so thank you what your company is doing in that field. When we look or our customers look at the future and, and hydrogen power truck, our um, test truck, which we just recently drove a thousand kilometers through Germany, was a liquid hydrogen truck because energy density was higher. What can we expect from your point of view? Is it gaseous? That means highly compressed hydrogen or is it liquid hydrogen? If you would look for the pros and cons for both of those th uh, things, what would be your recommendation to us as a manufacturer uh, on what should we focus? See, I'm, I have to admit I'm not an expert in terms of um, manufacturing capabilities um, of trucks. We can do both. For the fuel cell, it's just one part which we have to shift and the fuel cell is working with both. And from the tanks, the gaseous tank, is a little bit more complex, surprisingly, than a uh, tank that can hold for many days liquid hydrogen. But we can really both. For us, it's, uh, it's not a problem. And we do that already today with natural gas, or whether it's compressed natural gas or liquid natural gas, both works on trucks. So for us, it's, it's not a problem. I would rather take the customer's perspective. So what is the most convenient way for the customer if it doesn't even make a difference in actually refueling their respective truck? Then I think it comes down to what is the cost to the customer. And if you tell me now, actually, if you have to have a bigger tank to actually fill the gaseous hydrogen, then I'm sure this cost is going to be passed on. So how do we want to actually make the incentive become as easy as possible for the customer to adapt because they have to buy those trucks. Yeah, they have to actually exchange their fleets. They might have to have some kind of financing support potentially to really adapt. So I think that would be one of the criteria I would use. And the second criteria I would use is what is the form and shape the hydrogen is coming to your fueling stations? And on the one hand, Things like we are working together with on the Hercules Initiative, for instance, with OGE, with Open Grid Europe, you will have massive infrastructure where basically gaseous hydrogen is going to be very close to those dispenser points where your fueling stations are. So you already have it in that form and shape, which might be an argument for saying, just use it and don't again invest more energy for liquefying it. And personally, I don't believe that liquefied hydrogen is going to be a near or mid-term solution in order for bridging large distances. So I think that's maybe just one of the criteria I could offer.
Okay, but and that is exactly then the problem. When I said for us as an OEM in the production of the vehicle, it's not so much of a difference. Yeah, so we could be agnostic. When I look from the customer usage point, then liquid is certainly better. There, there was a reason why we run our first test, test trucks on the liquid side, because the energy density is much bigger on the liquid side. Therefore, the reach is larger or, or the respective tanks are smaller. And space is an issue, especially in European trucking, because we have pretty clear dimension regulations and our customers would like to use every cubic decimeter or cubic meter for freight and not for tanks. Yeah, so the customer, I would say, from the use point would like liquid. We can be agnostic in the production, but what you are saying, it's more realistic to be gazeuse from the distribution point of view at the moment uh, and not liquid. So again, the question is, who is going to bear the cost? If you say a liquefied hydrogen is more convenient for the customer, it also maybe whatever from a space perspective makes more sense, then it comes down to who's bearing the extra cost if it comes in a gaseous form and you would have to liquefy it. Yeah. So I think it is in principle possible, but I think it would be very helpful if we dissect a little bit what are the different cost components here, because I think then the customer can take an educated decision, an informed decision about what is it worth it. Yeah. And that's good because we are a fairly rational business on the trucking side. Yeah, For our customers, it's all about total cost of ownership. And yes, you're absolutely right. At the end, it's a trade time and space on the truck. For And time means how often do I have to refuel for higher costs, what liquid costs more than gaseous. That's great. I mean, when you look at timelines, I mean, I, I see often... When I look at battery electric trucks, which we have now uh, in a sizable amount out in the market, and uh, hydrogen trucks, uh, where we just have a couple of test trucks running, people are always asking, when do you bring the hydrogen trucks? And I said, this will be somewhere 2027, 2028. And then comes the question, why so late? And then is my answer, because there is no hydrogen at the moment. Yeah. Then I talk to people like you, and then it comes the question, who goes first? Do you bring the hydrogen? If you would have hydrogen on the road, I would bring trucks. If I would have trucks on the road, you would bring hydrogen. Classical hen-egg problem. Who is a hen? Who is an egg? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I neither want to be a chicken nor do I want to be an egg. Forgive me the analogy, yes. No, that, that's fine. But I think you're hitting the nail, Martin, because it's all about it requires collaboration. It requires synchronicity. And it requires an entire value chain from the development and the production of green hydrogen plus the transportation. And I mean, again, how to bring it then to you, to your customers, to the fueling stations. Plus, it requires your infrastructure and, of course, all the manufacturing of the trucks. And we have the customer who says, yes, it has a business case for them as well. So I guess the only solution is it's not us waiting for you. It shouldn't be you waiting for us. But it's rather to say, okay, let's rather collaborate. Let's maybe identify clear regions where pilot adaptations can take place. And yes, we are working on it. So the first large-scale industrial plant, we are just at the moment pushing it ahead. It's Get H2 in Lingen. And we are talking about 300 megawatts by 2027. Yeah, that, and, and I have always, when I look in our industry and I see our customers when we bring a complete new technology, they are, for me, uh, 
three phases always. So one, I call it the gaining headline phase. That is where we are at the moment. Yeah, we have a test track. Yeah, we do a big event, you know, arriving in Berlin after a thousand kilometers. You had been there, have pressed there, you know, show the possibilities. And you do the same thing. You have a test electrolyzer. You get the first hydrogen out of it, it and so on. That is for me gaining headlines. Then comes a phase where, where I call always gaining knowledge and our customer needs at phase two. So I run 10, 20 trucks. I figure out what the problems are. I figure out where behavioral change is necessary. And I start trusting a system in its, in its long-term viability. And that gaining knowledge phase, in my opinion, has to start around 2027. But then, for me, the last phase is gaining business. That is when it's absolutely normal. But that is, for me, has to be somewhere around 2030. Yeah, now the question is, are three years going from that gaining knowledge, that means small-scale operation to large-scale operation, whether three years for your industry is enough? For us, it works, yeah, but I don't know, and for our customer, it works, but I don't know how, whether it works for you or not, because I don't do less about your industry. See, um, I can see this working as well because um, and I like your analogy about gaining headlines, gaining knowledge, gaining business. And why do I say 2030 could work? Because at the end of the day, it's all about a tipping point. On the one hand, I do see a lot of new OEMs coming into the market who are producing electrolysis equipment. So this is one of the necessary ingredients to saying, do we by 2030 have enough capacities also to actually bring in the capex which is required? Second, um, by 2030, and I mean, we are committed to net zero here and to renewables built out, we'll also see much more renewables in the market, which again is the second necessary ingredient for large-scale domestic hydrogen production. Thirdly, specifically in Germany, we've been talking about the height to core grid infrastructure to provide you with hydrogen, yeah, wherever you need it at which fueling station. So this is also a journey, but I think by 2030, 32, we'll have at least from north to south quite a good coverage of roughly 10,000 kilometers. The only thing that is still needed, though, is realistic understanding of how the capital, the financing, the maybe temporary funding support also comes into place to actually realize 2030. Because, again, you need to have someone who actually gives the momentum a space. And this is then, again, maybe a good bridge to the earlier of our conversation. Capital is required. As long as it is not gaining business, as long as it is not yet gaining a commercial experience, someone needs to bridge the gap. Yes, and but that is, uh, f for me, then, the, the big, uh, always a big question. Diesel at the moment is cheap, and that is why our customers run diesel. If you go zero emission, it's significantly more expensive from the vehicle and it will stay more expensive. Then at the question of cost of energy, now you, if you would take diesel without any tax penalties, which are already on it today, it's an unbeatable way, efficient way. And I'm just talking about money to run transportation, but therefore CO2 needs a price ultimately. If this does not come, then you have to subsidize the other side, but you can't subsidize mass usage of something as we can't subsidize mass usage of energy. We can, we, can, we can cover peaks and we can cover extreme difficult situations, but we can't cover day-to-day -day life. And that is, I would say, the big challenge. What adds to our challenges uh, that we have a clear regulation for our industry that we have to reduce CO2 emissions of our vehicles by 45% 
by 2030, which requires at least legally 35% ZEV vehicles. We can't cover that with electric trucks because we need to go in the long distance. And therefore, for us, 2030 is a very, very important date. And that is what drives our driveline. And therefore, we have to work very closely together. And we do that. Therefore, thank you. I, I think it's interesting. It's so exciting these days because it's really not just one industry moving and then the others might or might not. We are all dependent on each other here. So that is, that is really, truly exciting. I'm, I'm totally with you, Martin. It's, um, we are interdependent, but I think that is a huge opportunity because um, there are so many different capabilities. Yeah, You on the manufacturing side, um, others on the development side. And I think it's just about bringing it together. And yes, also your point on the CO2 price. If we have a true pricing and also re realize this maybe internationally, like an international climate club, yeah, then we come to very different conversations about what the real cost yeah, of mobility and transportation looks like. Exactly. And therefore, I would say we could go for on forever. Uh, it's interesting to listen what we said today in two years, whether we, how much we progressed from that, what we uh, uh, talked about today. And I'm sure both companies will have made a lot of progress in that time uh, and potentially have adjusted a little bit the course. But the general course, I would say, is clear. Thanks for your keen insights. Thank everyone for listening to this podcast. And please join us again for our next episode on Transportation Matters, because transportation matters truly for all of us. Until then, take care and goodbye. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. If you enjoyed what you've heard, Share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title.